Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today on 30 Minutes, we'll hear remarks made at the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books at the Nuestras Raices stage, which was curated by the Pima County Public Library. This panel was called Borderlands New Wave Poetry and featured poets Daniel Olivas and Vicky Vertiz. The session began with an introduction by social justice consultant Sarah Gonzalez, followed by readings and discussion. This is part one of a two-part series. Welcome to the 10th annual Tucson Festival of Books. Yay, 10 years! <laughs> My name is Sara Gonzalez. I'm going to be moderating today. We wish to thank the Friends of Pima County Public Library for sponsoring this venue and supporting Nuestras Raices. Nuestras Raices, if you don't know, is a library program that builds community by celebrating Mexican-American authors, arts, and culture. I wanted to just frame it a little bit. I was having a conversation with my younger brother. Uh, recently, we were at a restaurant in Long Beach, and there was a French poet from the 1800s who they had painted their prose on the wall. And he was just like, I'm just so astounded. At, like, that was in the 1800s, and it's still here today. I'm just amazed that it, how does it get longevity? And I pessimistically replied that I wonder too, but about what didn't make it, what has been eradicated and eliminated, and why. If nothing, I am the brooding child of our family. Um, but we do, we know that, right? Whether uh, some entity, whether it's a government or, or other, when they want to eradicate a people, a culture, what do they begin with? They begin with eliminating the art poetry, books, writing, paintings, and sculpture. So while I definitely am enjoying myself here today and I love reading, I am also highly conscious at the importance of having voice, of having representation, and um, grateful for Nuestras Raices because they do such wonderful work. And I think honoring writers and artists like our guests today uh, and striving to create opportunities for marginalized voices to have space to create. So let's give a round of applause to Nuestras Raices for all their work. So I'm so grateful to be here in the tent. Uh, that's a container here and in our libraries, which are these mini cultural centers across the city, where we know that words can hang heavy, words can unlock joy, they can complicate our perspectives, they can represent, they can illuminate, can infuriate, and can inspire. And among all these words are our writers, these storytellers that are here with us today. And in our cultura, storytellers are the people who kept our traditions alive, and they ensured knowledge passed on through the generations, so they, in sense, kept us alive as well. So I'm going to introduce our two authors here with us today. I'm going to start with Danielle Olivas, who is the author of nine books and editor of two anthologies. His books include the novel The Book of Want, which is a U of A press, the landmark anthology Latinos in Lotus Land from Bilingual Press, and Things We Do Not Talk About, exploring Latino, Latina, literature through essays and interviews, which is San Diego State Press. His latest books are The King of Lighting Fixtures, uh, which is U of A Press and Crossing the Border, Collected Poems. Widely anthologized, Danielle has written for many publications, including the New York Times, El Paso Times, Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Review of Books, HuffPo, High Country News, LA Observed, and the Jewish Journal. His writing has appeared in many literary journals, including Pink, Pilgrimage, Fairy Tale Review, 
McGuffin, New Madrid, and the Prairie Schooner blog. He shares blogging duties on La Bloga, which is dedicated to Chicanex and Latinx literature. Daniel, the grandson of Mexican immigrants, grew up near the Pico Union and Koreatown neighborhoods of Los Angeles. He now makes his home northeast of downtown Los Angeles with his wife. They have an adult son who is a proud graduate of UCLA. Daniel received his degree in English Lit from Stanford University and a law degree from UCLA. By day, he is an attorney with the California Department of Justice in the Public Rights Division. Mm. So round of applause for Daniel Olivas. And Vicky Vertiz is here, uh, the oldest child of an immigrant Mexican family. Vicky Vertiz was born and raised in Bell Gardens, a city in southeast Los Angeles. Vertiz's first full collection of poetry, Palm Frond, with its throat cut, is published in the Camino del Sol series by the U of A Press in September of 2017. Her work was chosen by Natalie Diaz woo, for the 2016 U of A Poetry Center Summer Residency Program. A seven-time VONA participant, Vicky was also the 2015 Lucille Clifton Scholar at the Community of Writers. I don't know how to say that. Well, I don't say Squaw Valley, but that's what that. Oh, okay. Some that, that, they gotta that change place. that name. Yes. <laughs> Her writing is featured in Huisache, Nepantla, Omniverse, and the Los Angeles Review of Books, Kset Departures, and the anthologies Open the Door and the Coiled Serpent from Tia Chucha Press, among many others. Vicky has taught creative writing and given lectures at the Claremont Graduate University, 826 LA, the Center Theater Group, Williams College. Bell Gardens High School, and at UC Riverside, where she earned a Master of Fine Arts degree in 2015. Her first poetry collection, Swallows, is available from Finishing Line Press. Round of applause for Vicki! All right, so we're going to hear some excerpts from our guest authors, and um, I'll ask a couple of questions, and then if you all have any questions at the end, we'll get to that. This session was framed as New Wave Latinx Poetry, so I was just going to ask Vicky to speak a little bit about what does the Borderland New Wave descriptor mean? What does it mean to your work? And as we think about categorizations and labels, what does it mean for your work to be led into the world under this label? And then if you could share with us some writing. Thank you. So thank you to the library, as Sarita mentioned. Thank you to Sarita, who's a poet herself and works with youth and teen writers here in Tucson. Let's give Sarita a hand. Sarita, yes. Sarita's amazing. So when you say the word borderlands, what do you think of? Let's see some hands. Who do you think of first? I'm going to read your minds. Yes, hand. Of course, you think of Ansaldua, right? Gloria, right? Um, but then I also think of not living near the border at all and living in Los Angeles and writing from that place and also understanding that borderlands are everywhere all the time. They are in our workspaces, they're in places where we're the only person who looks like us. They're both you know, physically real and um, also not. So um, there is this great mentor I had, Celia Herrera um, Rodriguez, who's an artist and a performance artist as well. She's Chirimoraga's partner and she taught at California College of the Arts where we worked together and um, there was a student who went up to her one day and was like, I don't like this gray area that you want us to work in in your class. I don't like it. It's not here or there. It's, it's just kind of in the middle. And she was like, 
yeah, that's what being Chicano means. So that's what we do. And I was like, yeah, right. So it's all these things at once. And then also feeling, and no, as a queer person too, being in all these different places at the same time and not being out in all of the spaces that I inhabit is also just kind of very present for me. So what does it mean to write from there? Is that you're writing from all places at once, right? Um, and it also class-wise for me, my education got me into all these different levels of access in terms of resources, so I live there. I live in the <laughs> metaphorical borderlands, and I think my poetry does too. My son, Benjamin, is going to be 28, and he's Chicano, Jewish, and gay. And he, um, um, he kind of encompasses, in my mind, in my wife's mind, um, the, the borderlands that we often cross, um, religion, culture, um, sexual identity, and, and um, gen- gender fluidity. And when I look at someone like my son, who's just a wonderful young man, who is now in Israel with his husband-to-be um, to, um, in celebration of their, their soon-to-happen marriage, um, I think about why I'm a writer and why I, I do what I do. And one of the things I have found is that when I read my poetry, my fiction, and I connect with someone who maybe feels like they're alone, that maybe they're not someone who belongs, but then they hear a poem or story and they say, I see myself in that, to me that helps um, uh, remove the borders of our humanity and, and uh, makes people realize that um, we are all in this together. And of course, the biggest problems we have today are when people want to throw up borders and want to separate us and make each other um, hate each other. And um, I I think poets and writers really um, have an important duty right now to try to bring down those walls. So anyway, that's my little bit on on Borderland. Thank you. And now a treat from Vicky. (laughs) She's going to give us some of her writing. And Daniel as well? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. No, just you. Just, just me. <laughs> Too bad, Sorry, Daniel. Daniel. <laughs> That's my border. <laughs> I, I'm going to read, not you. And it's just one other thing I wanted to say about borders, and they're also super real and super violent, right? They're not too far from here, right? Um, poet Javier Zamora whose book um, Unaccompanied you should all read, um, uh, immigrated through this desert. And we were all here for a a conference called Thinking Its Presence in October. And he was having a really hard time because he he was a child. I think he was 10. He was really young. And he came by himself. And so the the land that we're on has a lot of uh, energy that is uh, still with us, that is is trauma-based. And it's ongoing. And so I never forget that. And I don't think my writing does either. So... Alas. Uh, So what I want to share is from my memoir, currently called Smart, Growing Up Gifted and Brown. Uh, And it's about who gets to be smart and why. Um, But it also is a little bit um, self-critical about those of us who were tracked into uh, the college uh, track and thinking about um, what that does what that does to you to motivate you and make you think you might be better than other people in your community or just in your family or anywhere, right? So this excerpt I'm about to read is about how I came home after going to a very fancy liberal arts college in the Berkshires of Massachusetts and fully expected my friends to receive me in a certain way, but they did not. And so um, this is an excerpt from a story called Vete a la Chingada Party. 
So vete la chingada party. It's at the end of the book, and I come back. I graduate from college. My friends didn't come to the little party my mom threw. I thought that was weird. We were already kind of at a rift. But what but precedes what the excerpt that I'm reading is a fantasy of what that party, what I thought that party was going to be like. So I thought I was going to show up to this place and people were going to like, oh, we love you. Um, but then this is what actually happened. And this isn't a footnote, if you can picture that. So, vete la chingada party. I open my eyes and it's December. We are driving to Bell for Eva's party. It is not my welcome back party. It's Eva and Moses' New Year's party. It's also my vete la chingada party, but I don't know that yet. I get in my friend's Ford Taurus, the seat's soft fabric, but cold at first. Harvard, my friend, has brought two of his friends, but I don't know where they're sitting and it doesn't matter. I know I'm in the back seat with Laura and we're not talking about kissing girls. Laura is my frenemy from the high school softball team. Laura, who also slept with my ex-best friend, Claudia. Two months later, I'll be having drinks with Claudia and she will say, Laura wanted to see what it was like. I will be jealous and say, gross. <laughs> Claudia will grin. Our faces are lit by passing streetlights and though they are weak and orange, being out this late makes us think something amazing could happen. Maybe Eva's party will be crowded with shapely girls in spandex dresses. Maybe there will be boys who can dance bachata and won't bother you if you don't feel like dancing. Maybe the music will be better than any cumbia remix I've heard that they play at gay bars. And I haven't gone to those yet, but after I do, no party will ever be as good as dancing to Selena at Esta Noche. Then one day that place will be gone, but it's not then yet. It's still 1998, and I'm brave in a brown satin miniskirt. My homie Harvard parks his Ford. He went to Harvard from Norwalk and is pulling up his sleeves. He's going to get in there in that party. Va meter las manos en la masa. I pull down my skirt, and she walks a few steps ahead of me. There is no one taking swigs of beer outside the small house, which is not a good sign. The grass is neat. The dew reflects the porch light fluorescence. The lights are on outside, but we can't hear any music. I give Laura a look like, what the f***, we could have been at Denny's. <laughs> she shakes her head like, I told you, fool, but you wanted to come. She looks pretty in this light. Her permed hair is gelled to perfection. Eva opens the door and is every bit herself. Red lipstick, a trim brown bob, great white teeth. She squeals at the paper bag I hand her because she loves gifts, but she frowns when I tell her I'm just returning a blouse. We say our hellos and Eva waves us in the direction of drinks. Harvard gets at the cate and his friends go outside. I mouth the word cabron. He shoots me a look like, we're going to norms after this. <laughs> I suck my teeth. They've left us in this tiny house with 15 strangers who don't smell anything like a party. No cool water or sunflowers or any discernible mall fragrance. <laughs> Estos ni llegan a Calvin Klein. Laura sees Fernando and makes a beeline for the ex-basketball player, an old crush. Of course, I made out with him first, back then, like it was a competition, because it was. <laughs> Left on my own for real, me and my skirt drift into the spare room where Eva does step aerobics. There are pink weights in the corner, a bookshelf about five rows tall, and lots of photos of her. 
and other people enjoying her company. <laughs> the room is lit by a bedside lamp. It's not dark, so I can see that one bitch Beto is dating in several of these pictures. Beto is my ex in this. Who cheated on me with this whitewashed girl from Carlsbad. Anyway. <laughs> I turn on the light to get a real good look, but Beto himself walks in and closes the door behind him. I cross my arms and glare. I'll leave it there. Thank you. You are listening to Remarks Made at the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books from a panel called Borderlands New Wave Poetry featuring poets Daniel Olivas and Vicky Vertiz and moderator Sarah Gonzalez on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Thank you. So, tough act to follow. I was going to read some very heavy political stuff. Um, And I wasn't going to read anything that had cuss words because this is being recorded by radio. They have bleeps. It's okay. (laughs) But there'll be a lot of beeps, mini beeps. But uh, that was really fun. That was beautiful. You know what? Um, So my poetry collection is called Crossing the Border. And it's all kinds of crossing the border. And what I want to read, actually, is something... Um, that I wrote in honor of my father. Uh, My parents are still alive. They're in their mid-80s. And um, in the 1960s, my father uh, worked in a factory in Watts. And uh, at the same time, he was trying to write a novel. And and short stories and poetry. He never got published. Um, And this um, poem is called Papa Wrote. And it, um, I think it's self-explanatory. Papa Wrote... The crowd at Tia Chucha's was sparse but smiling, encouraging, waiting for me to read a story or two. I asked them to wait a few minutes longer because my father was late and he had promised to attend. And so we waited in awkward silence, the espresso machines hissing, offering the lone commentary. And we waited and waited. So we had to start. I opened my book and read slowly, assuredly, my words filling these strangers' minds. Halfway through, the front door creaked open and my papa nodded, found a chair in back. I smiled and everyone knew who this man was. I finished the story, a gentle clapping, the final punctuation. Time for Q&A, I said. A young man raised his hand asked a kind question, a softball easy to answer. My father then stood, hands behind his back, as I noted to the audience, this was the man I had been waiting for. And Papa said, I used to write, too. The audience nodded, smiled, not knowing where this was going. Beads of perspiration covered my upper lip my face frozen with uncertainty. But it was trite, he continued. Nothing important. He waved his hand, palm out, as if to wipe away the past, to make us certain that we understood. Papa paused, cleared his throat. Nothing like what you write. I wish I could read your stories, I said. And softly he answered, I burned them all. He smiled without sadness and sat. My papa wrote once long ago. He wrote stories, 
stories I will never read, stories I will never know. Can I read one short one? Okay. And now read something very, well, that's kind of political, I guess. Um, and um, we, we talk a lot about naming and, and what, um, how we're called and how we're defined. So um, this poem is called Chicano. It began as a cruel jibe, so the etymologists say, because the descendants of the great fallen Moctezuma could not purge their mouths of the indigenous sounds of Nahuatl, their mother tongue. They worked the fields almost slaves, but not quite, and called themselves Mexicanos, and the bosses laughed. Can't say Mexicanos? Your tongues can't wrap around that, eh? Well, can you pronounce Chicanos? Ah, so you can. So that's what you are. Well, yes, that's what we are. And guess what? We embrace it. And we can even dress it up further by spelling it with an X to bring us closer to those who came before us. Chicano. How does that sound to your ear? Does it hurt? Does it make you shiver? It does? So sorry. We don't mean to offend. Please accept my apologies. Have a nice day. <laughs> All right. Thank you. When I was thinking through questions to ask the authors. A lot of it is around, you know, what, what's, what pushes you to write in the way that you write, or what's important to keep close to you as you're writing because you are talking about your experiences, uh, your families, your friends, who you were and who you are now. Um, so I'm wondering, in the midst of all that, of people who are so close to you and place also, as place is so close to you in your writings, what's important to you to keep close as you write when you begin a project or maybe when you're nearing the completion of a project? All those things in the swirl. Yeah, what do, you, what do you keep close to you? I feel like Daniel has written like a billion books, so I want to hear what he keeps close to then. So early on when I started writing, I started writing late in life at age 39, uh, 29 years ago. I mean, it's 20 years ago, um, so I'm, I'll be 59 soon. And, and so at 39, I was a fully developed person. Um, and and um, I started to have my wife, who is a judge, uh, then she was a lawyer, now she's a judge, to kind of read first drafts. But then she started to like edit and change it, and I realized that this is not going to work. I can't be in a relationship where, uh, where you read about where the, uh, one spouse reads the other spouse's work, and then it all works out great. Um, so, so I told my wife, um, I think I need to not run my stuff by you because right now what's happening is I'm beginning the inner sensor is beginning to kind of come in, and I need to just be able to forget everything and just and just write my fiction and poetry and let just let it be so i write about many many different things and many of my stories and poems come not only from my life but also from lives of people i know for example i have a poem in my collection that's dedicated to the to the incarcerated a poem that i i basically stole from a friend of mine i took her story 
and I used it in my poem, and I don't think she knows I published it, and I hope she never reads it. So, um, so I try not to keep things too close, and that's why I don't write, write memoirs. I write fiction and poetry, because I can always say I write fiction and poetry. <laughs> because somehow poetry's not true. Dumb. I got my MFA at UC Riverside at a time when um, Allison Hedgecoke, who's on our, our press, and uh, Juan Felipe Herrera were there as mentors for me. And what Juan, Juan is an amazing teacher. Um, he's actually teaching two children's um, sessions today. So if you can get, if you're a writer and you're wondering about how to get unblocked ever, just go watch Juan Felipe on YouTube and you'll be fine. Um, but what I want to say about him is that his gates of creativity are like open all the time. Like, he sends me emails. His affirmation email recently to thank me for something was like, cilantro poetry. And, like, that's all he said. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? But it means, yes, like, great. I love you. You're great. Keep going. So um, what I keep close is two things. One is... Um, the critic, which reminds me that there's a lot of things I'm writing against, right? Which is that I'm not important, that people like me are not important. So there's that to kind of motivate me, and it has a very loud voice right now. And then also the kind of Juan Felipe poetry nymph next to me who's like, everything is beautiful, and look at everyone around you, and you are okay. And not just are you okay, but there's a cilantro poem behind every door, right? So it's like how just knowing that um, they just keep following the path and whatever the words are, even if you are stuck or if you think it's something's bad, and so in an openness, um, and just continuing to go and pursue and show up. That same mentor I mentioned earlier, Celia, also told me, she's like, you know, all the Chicano artists that are still around right now, they're not the best ones, they're just the ones that kept going. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's a burn. But she's right, she's kind of right. I was like, oh, yeah. So um, you just have to keep going. So that's the other thing I keep next to me. It's like, just keep going. Like, this is not done. It's done for now, but it's not done forever. Awesome. Thank you. Great answers. Vicky's also a stand-up comedian, if you don't know. That's why she's my hero. Okay, and I have a stunner question. Not because I wrote it, because Audre Lorde wrote it. But in fairness, I gave it to them earlier. So, um, so from Audre Lorde's questionnaire is, for what do you not have words yet? I have words for everything. Oh, I'm not surprised. That's All right. Good. <laughs> All right. And, and let, let me put it this way. Drop the mic. Let me. Yeah, no. <laughs> the words are there because um, there's just too much to address in the world. And happy things and very, very disturbing things. And and also my words um, are not only fiction poetry, but I'm also a lawyer with the Attorney General's Office in California and. Uh, we are dealing with a lot of Trump administration type th things and our legal words that we're filing in court and with administrative um, proceedings are addressing the world out there in terms of the environment. And so um, the words are there and I mean, th they may not be the best words to paraphrase someone, um, but they're the words and they're there. So. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm going to keep mentioning Chitty Moraga, who's also an amazing teacher. If you ever have the chance to study with her, please do. Find a way. And one thing that stays with me that she, has, she advised was that um, there is always a new silence to write into, and that that's where she starts. 
Christ. Like, what is the thing I don't want to say? Mm-hmm. We were in a workshop once, and a, uh, this writer got some critique she didn't like, and she's like, well, I feel like you're not being sensitive to the material. And Shitty said, we don't have time. <laughs> we don't have time to indulge in the in the in the suffering anymore we have to make your work beautiful in order to honor it and 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 heal and i was like oh my god she's and she's but she can go in there right not all of us can go into that silence not all of us can go into that wound and you don't have to but there's so many there's so many um, recurring ones, right? I'm actually on a panel later with Vicky Gris, who's a playwright, and we're talking about art as healing, and another mentor once told me, too, that wounds don't go away, they just find different facets of them to work with in your life, right? And so, so right, so what are the things that I work through? I work through uh, class shame. I work through, um, like I mentioned earlier, being out in some spaces and not out in others. Um, those silences are always there, but always in public, Right. So yeah. So those are. I'm going to go into those again. Yeah. All the time. Uh, and I also know when when I'm, I have successfully gone into that space when I get hate email. I wrote a piece for New York Times about the church abuse scandal because I've written fiction on that, and I got so much hate email. But I realized I I did the right thing by writing that piece because I also got the emails from survivors of of abuse. And they thanked me for putting my words out there because they felt like they were not alone. So, so oftentimes I think as writers, when we go into those spaces that are maybe dangerous spaces for other, for other people, um, they make spaces that are safe for yet others. And, and, and those are the people I think I, in the end, I'm writing for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to remarks made at the 2018 Tucson Festival of Books at the Nuestra Raices stage, curated by the Pima County Public Library. This panel was called Borderlands New Wave Poetry and featured poets Daniel Olivas and Vicky Vertiz in conversation with social justice consultant Sarah Gonzalez. This has been part one of a two-part series. You can find this and all other recent episodes of 30 Minutes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Amanda Schager.